0: Hello everybody, this is Noah and John and we are from Urban Digs and this is Talking Manhattan, Johnny. And uh, this is gonna be a special commercial sector edition. And I'm very proud to invite James Nelson, Johnny, uh, Principal and Head of Tri-State Investment Sales over at Avison Young. And we're gonna get a nice a nice glimpse into a sector, a commercial sector that we never talk about. And we've always said to our audiences that commercial sector is one of those tentacles of the beast, of the product beast of our market that's, you know, not got really hit the pandemic. And is it coming back? Is it fully online? Is it, is it getting there? Well, this is the kind of questions we're gonna answer today, Johnny.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, me too. All right, James, uh, thank you so much for coming in here today and spending time with us today. And let's just start out right off the bat. Um, do me a favor, if you can give my uh, uh, audience an update on what is the state of the investment sales market, specifically um, now that we have rising inflation and we have interest rates that are potentially affecting your pricing and activity.
2: Well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. And look, I've learned so much from you all. And I think to be a great commercial broker, you need to know what's going on in the residential space. And I'd like to make the case today for your listeners that to be a great residential broker, you also need to understand what's going on in the commercial world. So uh, really excited to have this conversation. I love talking Manhattan. So uh, yes, we, uh, and and this is hot off the press. We just put out our uh, second quarter numbers. and so. You know, the question about price, it's a little too early to tell. And I think also when we talk commercial, let's take a step back that encompasses a lot of different asset classes, right? So we sell multifamily apartment buildings, we sell retail, we sell office, we sell land for development. We've even done industrial medical. So there's a lot in there and it is difficult to paint the market with one brush, right? Because there's different things going on in different asset classes, which I know we'll we'll get to uh, today but all in all to make a general statement look uh, in everybody's reading in the headlines interest rates are are up inflation's up you know what does that do to investment sale pricing and and yes there is pressure on pricing for the simple reason that if it costs more to borrow money and investors are looking for that return we call it that cash on cash return uh, then yes it it is going to put downward pressure on pricing you know, really ac- across the board. Now, how severely that impacts really depends on, you know, which asset class um, and and how long that lease is. So are there shorter term leases, longer term, uh, a lot of factors that, that go into it. So, but all in all, I, I think it's still a le- little early to tell because when we put out a second quarter report, it's always important to remember that this is really a rear view indicator. I, and I'm sure it's not too dissimilar to residential. When you, uh, Um, look at your residential reports you're looking at deals that were probably negotiated 90 120 days ago it took a while for them to contract it probably took 60 to 90 days to close and then get reported so in much the same way we are waiting to see how this rate increase so don't forget in mid-march we had that 25 basis point increase and then the fed increased another 75 bips in june so if you fast forward three to four months from each of those dates what that means is the first rate uh uptick we're not going to see kind of the impact of that until next quarter and the 75 basis point increase we probably won't see that till the end of the year so you know right now still a little early to tell um but uh certainly some downward pressure uh based on what has just happened
0: Let's and if you can, go ahead. I'm sorry, Johnny, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, I was just going to, you know, talk about. There's a just this morning, a hot CPI print came out, over nine percent uh, on the inflation side. And you know, you mentioned a number of uh, of uh, asset classes there, right? You had, you know, multifamily at land, and some are obviously more productive than others. And I'm just curious if you could kind of break that down in terms of, sure. you know, which ones are sort of performing the best.
2: Right, so real estate in general is a great inflation hedge. It's uh, a hard asset, uh, appreciates over time, and and clearly, if you're borrowing money from the bank, and even if it's gone up, so if today it costs, let's say, high four or five percent to uh, for five year money, and inflation is cranking up at eight nine percent, you're actually making money on that spread, right? Because uh, you you've locked in that rate, so so that can be you know that can be helpful even with where rates are. But I think when you're talking about at the property level, you know, what you want to do is take advantage. You know, we've talked about the challenges in the market. Let's talk about what's going on on the positive side. And you all know too well, what's been going on on the residential rental side. Uh, Rents, if I'm not mistaken over the last year in Manhattan have gone up by a third. They're actually now above pre pandemic levels. So if I'm buying an asset class that has, you know, large, uh, Upside in rents where we can increase those rents at greater than that eight or nine percent inflation number, then I'm in great shape. I just need to be out to to be able to outpace that. Where Jenny, where we get into challenges, is if I'm buying an asset, you know, whether it's a triple net property, which means you know the tenant pays for everything, think like CVS Walgreens. If I'm buying that for a 10-year hold where my income is fixed, right, and I might get some increases along the way, I might not keep up with inflation. So one thing, and this is a little you know, sophisticated specific, but, but it is something if, if your listeners are interested in really kind of getting into this space, if you are gonna buy you know, a retail or a commercial property, what we're now seeing, and we are handling some properties that have increases, not only based on a set percentage, but it could be the greater of this percentage or of CPI. So you could actually have an increase in your lease based on what's going on with with CPI.
0: Well, I mean, this is this is um, really interesting stuff here. Um, let me let me ask you about the office market, um, and I and I specifically want to know um, maybe there are um, potential buildings with higher vacancy than others, and I'm just wondering because we are having this interest rate reset, we are going higher, um, we are at tech, we are Wall Street, we are a tech city. Um, are there buildings that might have some tech, maybe recent startups that are getting a little more negatively impacted by this 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 reset in interest rates? I mean, being tech being a long duration asset kind of a thing. Um, are there what's happening with the office sector basically?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that the big question there is the return to office. And and if you look at our analysis, um, you know, we're we're still, you know, in the ballpark of you know, upwards of 50, 60 percent compared to pre-COVID uh, on what the, the return is to the office. And the way we calculate it is we actually use uh, anonymized cell phone data. We actually see who is in the building before uh, and, and today. And it is very different by sector. And you mentioned tech. Tech has actually been one of the uh, slowest to return back to office or mandate that return to office. I mean, maybe with the exception of, if you want to call Tesla uh, tech, we, we we heard what what Alan had to to say about uh, you know getting back into the office, but you know let, let's face it, there's a talent war going on right now, and I think for a lot of these companies, if they were to mandate a return to office, certainly five days a week, you'd mm-hmm. find that a lot of employees would say, well, you know what, I I, I actually like my two three days uh, a week in the office and to have that that flexibility, I'm going to go work for one of the competitors. So I think that is still kind of what's holding back, and and some of the question you know is if we are, if things are starting to get a little more challenging, and I don't want to use the R word, but yes, if, if suddenly we started to see some layoffs and employers, you know, suddenly there wasn't this huge, you know, job growth, but now employees had to really, you know, prove themselves to retain their jobs, right? You might, you know, certainly see more people showing up to the office, um, not to mention certainly the benefits uh, of being in the office and the collaboration, but, you know, Meanwhile, there's a lot of, uh, if you're doing collaborative work, like, you know, we do here at Abison Young, I mean, we've got, I've got everybody out on the floor right now. That's, that's how we work best. So, um, so it is different by sector. It's also hugely different by the quality of the building. And what we have seen is that the return to office has, has been a lot stronger in the class A and trophy buildings. In fact, employers are now giving their employees a reason to come back to the office. And that's why the one Vanderbilt's of the world are fully leased, getting record rental numbers. You know the Hudson Yards. It's really the Class B, Class C, which is going to have challenges because right now, you know, we track over 500 million square feet of office right in, in Manhattan, and we're looking at an 18 percent availability rate. So either currently vacant or for sublet. That's 100 million square feet available. That's a lot of space and. You know, I I think this hybrid thing, we've all realized this is, you know, here to stay, right? I mean, so this is kind of the new reality. This is how we're working. So the question is, what do we do with this space, uh, you know, these buildings that are now obsolete? And that is why we are really hoping um, that there is a a way to convert a lot of these uh, buildings to residential, I mean, if you look at it, that's what saved downtown, the financial district. A lot of those office buildings were taken offline and converted to residential. Um, as I mentioned before, there's an affordability crisis; rents are going through the roof. It would make a lot of sense to convert many of these buildings uh, from office to residential, but that that's that's a, a, can be complicated. You know, not only yeah. from a zoning standpoint, but uh, an economic standpoint. That might that might be for a, a part two. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it sounds good. It's just, it never, never, never happens very quickly. John. Well, right. You know, and that's
1: kind of where I was going was, you know, talking about the development of these new rentals and new condos. I mean, this is this is this is sort of money that's going to be sort of set aside for quite a while while the I suppose the assemblage is, is constructed. And then, you know, the, finally, the building gets built. So you're you're looking at these long timelines. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, what's crossing your desk in terms of either, you know, uh, people looking to sell uh, pieces for assemblage or, or investors looking to start, you know, cobbling these together. What's that? What's that market look like these days?
2: Right. So if we're talking about new development, right, and, and you know, specifically residential, because I, I don't think there's a lot of developers out there specking, you know new office, all, all things considered. But yes, the creation of new residential units, which we desperately need here in New York. Um, w- there's only about three million housing units in New York City. A million of those are rent regulated. And based on what happened in 2019, those units will always be regulated. And so you, you see a lot of the tenants just staying put. Um, so what happens to the rest of the 2 million units? You know, there's incredible pressure uh, because it's, it's a huge supply demand imbalance. So we need more housing. I've heard, you know, tens of thousands of units required. Now, the way that these rental uh, buildings have been built over the last, I mean, I've been doing this close to 25 years. And as long as I've been doing this, there has always been a tax abatement program to stimulate rental development. Because if you don't have it, it's very difficult to make the numbers work with the cost of land, the cost of construction to, as a developer to go through this risk. You're trying to do this to get to a five or 6% return. But if you do not have a tax abatement, the real estate taxes in some cases can be up to a third of your rents, right? So unless if you're able to abate that over a period, let the rents grow over time and let the taxes phase in the developers saying, Hey, we're not going to do this. So unfortunately, our uh the, the 421a program that we had in place which was called affordable new york which was a great program it just expired and there's no replacement there was something proposed up in albany but with the midterm elections we haven't seen anything yet it could be a while and so unfortunately we are not seeing uh the development of new rental housing condos yeah. are a different story if you can find land right now and a lot of the great land to your question has already been assembled Some of the remaining land, you know, if they're existing properties, they might have regulated tenants in them. And so they are, you know, it's not possible to to vacate those those buildings and and, and build new. So it's getting more and more challenging to find these places where you can build. But look, and I think you all have reported on that diminishing supply and pipeline of of, uh, new condos. I think two years from now, we're gonna be looking around saying, hey, where's all the new condo product? I can tell you just from the amount of land sales, and I'm looking at a report in this last quarter, there was only 10 development sites that, that sold. I mean, that might sound like a lot, but if you add up all the buildable square footage, those, those buildings only uh, will total 700,000 feet. It, it's, it's a drop in the bucket.
0: I mean, right. it, 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 so I, I mean, I'm trying to digest all this. What, what would you say is the best opportunity to invest in right now? I mean, you got, you got some challenges on the developer side from policies. You got some challenges on the rental landlord side from policies, um, taking into account everything you're seeing and where you predict these shortages in inventory and all this kind of stuff, where is the best opportunity to invest?
2: So again, if, if you can find land to build for new condos, I like that a lot because there, there's clearly still demand right? And and there's going to be a shortage. But um, look, development is also very risky, right? So if you're an investor looking to make your first buy or if you're a residential broker, you're dealing, you just sold um, an overseas investor, a $20 million penthouse apartment, and they're saying, great, I'd like to to make an investment, okay? I love retail. Um, And you can either buy freestanding retail, you can buy retail at the base of buildings, and Look, um retail has taken a huge hit even before COVID. I mean, this was yeah. the whole e-commerce effect. We saw for example in Soho that retail rents, you know, today are probably only still 25-30% of peak, okay? Are retail rents ever going to go back up to $1,000 a foot on Broadway maybe one day? But I can tell you it's not going to stay at 250-300 a foot. They're going to grow, right? Because what's happened is, you know, retailers, you know, when they're looking to sign leases, they're looking at present day, you know, the last year, remember, we lost half of our tourism, right, we used to have 70 million tourists who came to New York in a year and because of COVID that got cut in half. So to me, it's very simple, the thesis, tourists come back, retail rents, you know, suddenly, you know, people are shopping again. And there's all kinds of studies. Uh, I think the Wall Street Journal did a study talking about the percentage of e-commerce sales. Well, guess what? It just took a dip because I think it, it, it hit a peak right during COVID, and then people realized, like, hey, you know, I want to go out for the experience. I want to shop in stores. You talk about these digitally native brands who start online now. They realize they need that physical presence to connect with their customer. They're saying, hey, we need to be in stores, right? And by the mm-hmm. way, Amazon's doing it too. They're opening up stores. So. Um, their retail is coming back. If you look at the neighborhoods too, the restaurants, you know, you can't even get a reservation. They're doing great business. They've got the sidewalk cafes. I think there is a lot of room for retail rents to still run. And you can get a great return today. You can buy retail right now at a five, six percent return, right? Uh, With upside.
0: Such a great contrarian call. Sorry, Johnny. Such a great contrarian call. And, and retail was one of the elements of the of the equation, Johnny, that we said is offline and is yeah. down and out. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back and it's going to help power this market over time. And and let me just add one thing. Um, if you're cash, if you're cash and you're buying that, I mean, because finance bids are different, right? I mean, I, you add all these points together, buy retail with cash. Buy retail with cash. Done.
1: So yeah, I, I, I just want to throw in because I've I've always loved the idea and I, and I think it's sort of hit really it's the sweet spot now is that sort of experiential retail you think you know B&H was sort of a forefront where you walk in it's just like this only in New York kind of experience I know Wilson built like a flagship store on third avenue in the 80s which has a pickleball court in the basement I mean these are places that people want to go to and I think that's this transition has been phenomenal and the more you talk, James, the more I realize there are, there are an amazing number of parallels between what's happening in the commercial market and what's happening in the residential market. I mean, one that you mentioned earlier is the difference between, say, renovated Class A buildings in which are filled and they're, they're you're, you're getting great per square foot rents, whereas the Class C, Class B are, are, are not doing so well. And we saw the same thing with residential, with the renovated apartments, larger units doing fantastic, unrenovated units needing work. I mean, that timeline, those costs were blown out, and they were seeing... Uh, significant discounts compared to their renovated counterparts. So just to wrap this all up, I'm just curious, you know, if you could sort of, you know, step into both worlds and I'm just, you know, what are some of the, the top things in your mind that you think the residential commercial, the residential side should know about the commercial side uh, in order to sort of, you know, talk fluently with their customers? Great. So
2: again, I, I think that, um, first of all, You have to know your customer and you have to know what they're looking for okay because investing in commercial real estate depending on what it is there's different levels of um, management intensity so i would not recommend to your overseas client to go buy a 50 100 unit apartment building as their first purchase i mean it is hands-on and yes you can get a third party manager to collect rents and pay your bills but you still have to asset manage that okay it's a very hands-on business part of the reason why I recommended retail also is, you know, you might have two or three tenants and if you have longer term, you know, if you have those leases in place, you know, you're, you're, (laughs) you're overseeing it, but again, it's not heavy from a management standpoint. So you really want to ask that question first, you know, how much time can you devote to this? Do you have boots on the ground? We see a lot of these foreign investors, they have local partners, right? And so I, I think that's, that's really important. Um, I think also you have to, um, you know, be able to do the work. Um, And, you know, it it is to learn the market. It's the same thing. If you told me, James, you know, I'm going to send you a $10 million buyer to go buy an apartment on the Upper West Side, you know, could I try to figure out where they could buy and what to do? But I don't know the pros and cons of each building, right? So I think you want to be you know, this is still a business in brokerage where we specialize, right? And, and residential, i sure can even get more specialized where it's, you know, I do resales, I do new construction, I do this neighborhood. Same thing with commercial. So it can get very complicated. You know, multifamily would kind of just glossed over it, you know, and the idea of rent regulation, you know, what units are fair market, what's stabilized, what's controlled, what happens when they vacate. These are very complicated rules, regulations. So um, I just, you know, again, I think there's tremendous opportunity to invest in New York right now. I can tell you having done this again for a long time that I am now seeing opportunities that I have not seen for a decade, right? We're seeing returns that are, you know, attractive, right? 5-6% returns. That was never, you know, 10 years ago we were talking 3-4 caps, right? Yeah. Cap and rates. so there are opportunities here, but you really need to make sure that you are you know, doing your homework, if you are uh, bringing a buyer as a buyer broker, if you want to make sure that you're working with a, uh, a commercial broker who understands kind of what's going on, so you understand the asset and what you're advising your buyer, because you, you don't want to get them into something where they're in over their, their head, and uh, you just, you need the right team uh, in, in, in place. So that, that would be, I, I don't know if that's not one thing I would say, but, but hopefully uh, that's helpful to your audience.
0: Yeah, no, this, is, this has been it's fantastic. Tough. James, this is, this is, you, you're a rare gem here, James. This has been fantastic. This has been a, a very educational uh, 20 minutes. I thank you for your time. Uh, if there's any brokers out there that just want to, if you learn something from here, you know, fine, James, send him a thank you, okay? Maybe send him a referral every once in a while. He knows his <laughs> business. Um, that is James Nelson of uh, Addison Young. That is John Walker. I am Noah Rosenblatt. This has been Talking Manhattan and Talking Commercial. Thank you so much, James. And we will catch you all next time.